In the winter of 1857, the Latter-day Saints and the U.S. Army were in a standoff on the frozen plains of Wyoming. Church leaders were under indictment for treason and facing mounting threats from all sides. Meanwhile, Johnston's army had lost half their campaign supplies to Latter-day Saint raids. Now, cold and hungry, they faced a highly motivated enemy and their fortified defenses along Echo Canyon. On this episode, we explore how in this critical moment, Colonel Thomas L. Kane of Pennsylvania set out on a self-imposed mission to throw himself between the two armies and avert a war. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. Thomas Kane was born to wealthy and influential parents. His father, John Kane, was a federal judge and a leading Jacksonian Democrat. The Kane family was driven by a deep need for adventure, exploration, and humanitarian causes. Thomas's older brother, Elisha Kent Kane, would become a Navy officer and an explorer. When the British expedition of Sir John Franklin disappeared in the Arctic in 1845, Elisha would answer the pleas of Lady Jane Franklin for a rescue mission. He would make two grueling expeditions to the frozen Arctic wastes in an effort to find and rescue the unfortunate crew of the Terror and the Erebus. Even though he didn't find Captain Franklin or his crew, he crossed the Atlantic to bring Lady Jane Franklin his personal report, and in the process became a national hero. Sometimes, Elisha's mixed need for adventure and philanthropy would misfire, at least in the eyes of the Kane family. On one such adventure, Elisha Kane set out for New York to meet the famous Fox Sisters. The Fox Sisters had caused a sensation in 1848 by claiming they had made contact with ghosts and had worked out a system of knocking to communicate with them. Elisha was convinced that they were frauds, and he set out first to expose and then to reform the young ladies. But in a twist of fate, Elisha became smitten with Margaret, the middle Fox sister, and scandalized his family by marrying her. Thomas was in some ways different from his brother. At five and a half feet and 130 pounds, Thomas was frequently laid low with illness, but he shared his brother's need for hardship and rugged adventure. His brother John would later write, Tom is never so well as when exposed to that which would kill most men of his build, and a hard life in open air, no matter how hard, always agrees with him better than the most tranquil, sedentary existence. Also, like his brother, he was deeply inspired by the cause of the unfortunate. He became an ardent abolitionist and would found orphanages throughout his life. In 1847, he heard about the plight of a strange people called Mormons who had been driven from their cities in Illinois and were then camped in the Iowa wilderness. Kane traveled to winter quarters, where he met Brigham Young, Heber C. Kimball, and Jedediah Grant and the Latter-day Saints. Their sufferings and the injustice of their plight deeply moved him. He petitioned President James K. Polk to raise a battalion of Mormon volunteers to campaign in the Mexican War. The Mormon battalion, as it came to be known, brought the Latter-day Saints badly needed income, and advocating for justice for the Mormons would be one of the great causes of his life. And like his brother Elisha, Thomas's sense of adventure and honor would sometimes misfire and carry him into situations his family deplored. 
Thomas had a hair-trigger sensitivity for anything he saw as a slight to his honor. This played out most dramatically during the American Civil War, where he commanded a regiment of Pennsylvania volunteers. He began to butt heads with his superior officer, Colonel Biddle, over what to modern readers look like minor differences of politics and military tactics, but they were anything but minor to Kane, who eventually became so angry he challenged Biddle to a duel. But the duel would have to wait. In December of 1861, Kane's unit was called into action at the Battle of Drainsville in present-day Arlington, Virginia. Kane proved a capable and energetic field commander and won the only Union victory that season. But leading from the front came with a price. During the battle, Thomas Kane was shot in the face. He survived, but the bullet knocked out some of his teeth and left him partially blind. His wife Elizabeth rushed to his side to help care for his wounds, but she found him in a dark mood. He was desperate to go forward with the duel against Colonel Biddle and declared that he would fight it even if it meant handing his soul over to the devil. Elizabeth tried to reason and plead with him, but he was adamant. When all else failed, Elizabeth played the ultimate trump card. She told him, Tom, you put on my ring to wed me for eternity too. If you choose to damn your own soul by fighting this duel, mine shall go with you. I swear that when you fight a duel, whether you live or die, I will cut my throat. Thomas, believing she was serious, relented and promised that he would instead seek peace in Christ. The year 1857 brought tragedy to the Kane family. Earlier that year, Elisha Kent Kane, the rugged Arctic explorer and adventurer, fell ill and died shortly after he traveled to England to report to Lady Franklin. Elisha's death was devastating to the Kane family and especially to Thomas. In his brother's honor, Thomas tried to organize his own expedition to the Arctic to find the lost ships Terror and Erebus. But the economic collapse of that year destroyed his hopes of raising enough money. He also learned that Jedediah M. Grant, counselor to Brigham Young, had died the previous December. Starting with their association a decade earlier, Thomas Kane had grown to admire the fiery Grant, though they occasionally butted heads. The death of his friend, following so closely on the loss of his brother, grieved him deeply, and he observed, I did not know I loved him so well. In May, Thomas Kane wrote to Brigham Young, I am growing old enough to prize the friends whom time has left me. Jedediah Grant, I had rough talks with him over Deseret matters, and I have to think with bitterness that I parted from him without saying in so many words that in my soul I did him justice. I could give years of my life to have written him before he died one natural and outspoken brother's letter. In the winter of 1857, Thomas Kane realized that the church and the army were on a collision course as soon as the winter turned to spring and time was running out. He believed the only chance to de-escalate the conflict and prevent bloodshed required someone to strike out in the dead of winter and negotiate a peace before it was too late. And he sensed that he was, perhaps, the only person who could undertake this mission successfully. On one hand, his father, John Kane, was a longtime political ally of James Buchanan, and as his son, Thomas Kane had access to the White House and the President. But on the other hand, his time with the Latter-day Saints in winter quarters a decade earlier had made him one of the few Washington insiders that Brigham Young and the Latter-day Saints trusted. 
and his deep sense of personal honor, his need for adventure, and his deep-rooted instinct to liberate the oppressed would impel him to leave his family and home and set out for the frozen plains of Wyoming. On Christmas Day, 1857, Thomas Kane arrived at the White House where he found a careworn Buchanan haunted by the prospect of military disaster and civil war. Kane later wrote how Buchanan was certain that Johnston's army must succumb if they were attacked by the Mormons. He knew that disaster to the army would be before the country a disgrace to his administration. I don't think he believed there was a chance to escape for any of the soldiers. When he heard Kane's proposal, to set out for Salt Lake City to personally broker a peace, Buchanan was far from enthusiastic. He urged Kane not to make the trek, promising, quote, no other possible result than the sacrifice of your own life, which would add to the weight of public indignation against the unfortunate Mormons. But Kane was unmoved. He wrote, I convinced him that I was determined to go, with or without his approbation. Buchanan eventually relented. He encouraged Kane and gave him letters of introduction that he was to present to any United States official, military or civilian, on his quest. You furnish the strongest evidence of your desire to serve the Mormons by abandoning the comforts of friends, family, and home, and voluntarily encountering the perils and dangers of a journey to Utah at the present inclement season of the year, at your own expense and without official position. Nothing but pure philanthropy and a strong desire to serve the Mormon people could have dictated a course so much at war with your own private interests. But these letters, while friendly, did not really say much. They certainly did not explain what, if anything, Buchanan had authorized Kane to do. His brother Pat immediately saw Buchanan's angle when he read the letters. He said, That is buck all over, so if Thomas succeeds, he may approve him, and if he fails, disavow him. Kane's family was far from enthusiastic about this project. His father believed there was no chance his self-imposed mission was going to work, and argued that the conflict had already reached the point of no return, and that the Latter-day Saints had become fanatics. He also believed there was a serious risk that the Saints in the outlying territories would forget their former friendship with his son and kill him, long before he could reach Salt Lake City. But like Buchanan, John Kane could not dissuade Thomas from his mission. He candidly wrote his son a farewell letter and had Elizabeth smuggle it into his trunk just as he set out for Utah. I have been so strenuous an opponent of your whole project and have said so many things against it that I think it right to say to you at the moment of our parting that you carry with you all the blessings a father's prayer can invoke. I have very faint hopes connected with your mission. You are going, I apprehend, to fail. And I close this letter by a farewell assurance to you that the home welcome in all its cordiality awaits you, whether you succeed or fail. God bless you, dear Tom. This would be the last letter Thomas would hear from his father, who would die just before his son reached Salt Lake City. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Adventures in Mormon History. And as this podcast has just received 10,000 downloads, we'd like to thank all of our listeners who have shared this podcast and those of you who have left us such kind reviews. On our next episode, we'll continue the story of Colonel Kane's gamble to end the Utah War. I'm your host, Nate Olson.